Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. My name is Matt Shockey. Sitting across from me, as always, is Jeff Hudson. And joining us again this week is Mustafa. If you missed last week, we were um, telling, retelling his story, his journey from being a refugee in Somalia uh, to being here in the United States, going on five years. Um, this summer, you're going to be taking your test to become an American citizen. Yes. So you're kind of at the end of one journey, sort of putting a bow on that and starting this next journey. And we invited him back because we didn't quite get the full story. We, we, you, you're from Somalia, age nine, your father's murdered mm-hmm. um, for speaking out uh, against the war that's mm-hmm. happening there. Um, and you wake up in the morning by four o'clock, you're a refugee mm-hmm. and you're making your way. You end up in a, a Kenyan uh, refugee camp. You're there for eight years um, and you finally get this opportunity. You're one of the lucky ones. You're, you're not there 15, 16, 17 years and your whole family group is getting this chance to finally find safety. Yes. And we talked about that last week. And Jeff, you asked a question about hope. You know, what is it? What hope do you have? And you said it's the idea that maybe someday we'll just be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's pick up our story there, uh, that you're in the refugee camp run by the United Nations. Uh, there's some semblance of life, but it's not. It's nowhere close to being normal. Uh, 600,000, 700,000 people in a camp built for 90,000. And you finally, your name goes to the top of the list somehow. Like, how yeah, does that, what, what is this list? Yeah, how's it been? How do you get on the list? Yeah. And how do you get to the top of the list? Um, well, the, the, the resettlement process uh, is, is only offered to 1% of the world refugee population. So when when so when there's all the millions of refugees around the world, only one percent of them gets the opportunity to be resettled, and then one percent gets distributed between all the refugee camps around the world. So it's not one percent of every camp. So basically, they look at um, situation based. Um, uh, they give they give uh, high risk security fam- cases priority. Uh, families of of people who are gonna who have been um, like my family, uh, who, who have a single mom and a lot of children, and they have they have they have their case has been re- in the media for for my father's passing and uh, so in a really sort of tragic way, in death your dad's helping you. Yeah, it is in in in, in the in the most unexpected way. He's right. he's 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 contributing to our lives in a different way. <laughs> That's that's really yeah neat and sad all it at is, the same it time. It is sad and neat at the same time because we have you go to the camp and you see people who are there 16, 15, 20 years, people who have been born there and raised there and they don't know anything about anything. And the reason the, the only thing that's keeping them there is because there's all these other cases that are um considered higher priority. I I personally don't think everybody in there is on the, with with the same situation. Um, and um, you go through the resettlement process. So you interview, you do background checks, you do medical checks, you do everything checks, and um, they they submit your 
case to all so of them. They, so they look at everyone's situation. They whittle it down then to like this group of people we're going to interview. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, you made the first cut. Yeah. Just to get the interviews. Yes. Okay. Yes. So when you get that takes few years, three or four years or five years, depending on, depending on the situation that's happening around the globe. So when you make it to that stage, you interview with the United Nations just to get, just to approve you to be submitted to all the nations of the world to see if any nation will will take you and say we choose this family to and we want to resettle them to our community. So yeah, when you get when you, you get to that stage, you you just basically waiting to hear back from any country who's who's willing to accept your family. And uh, and the last thing last hope you have is like you you hope not to get chosen by the United States because it's is the country that takes the longer longest. To process and vet and uh, and actually take families from the beginning to the to the to to resettling them. So yeah, you're waiting and you're hoping and um, what's the what's the countries you want? I I think they based on the immigration laws around the world. Uh, I think it's Australia. Canada and European countries have have really more humane ways of uh, of accepting people and making making it the process faster. You know, with understanding the longer you keep somebody there, the less the less safe they are. The 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 more they're not getting treatment for anything they're 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 having, the, they are not productive. So it, this the same folks since you already accepted them, it will be easier for you to to bring them to your community and have these people become productive in the community instead of just accepting them eliminate them eliminating their chances of getting accepted by another country and just keeping them there all right so you you, you do the un interview you pass the un interview all right yeah so now you go out into the like Hey, it's almost like the uh, an NFL draft. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, all right, all right, who wants this family? Who wants this family? Yeah, and basically that. Do, do you even know why the United States picked you? Do they ever tell you why? No, they don't tell you why. Um, they they just do. Uh, okay, it's I I think they they. Uh, from what I understand right now, is basically the United States always picks families. Uh, it's it's not like they don't ever choose families to accept, and they basically look at resources available in their community, and if they see a community like Lancaster, which has a very open community to accept refugees, then they will increase the number of people they are accepting. So yeah, I don't know why they did, they, okay. but I'm glad they. I'm glad. I'm glad to be chosen. Now, but not at that time. Right. Yeah. And I think that's very clear to make that this well, is. Or if you're a teenager, right? Yeah, you yeah. just spent your teenage years in a camp. You yeah. went over. You, you mm-hmm. want, yeah. And, and I can remember vaguely now being a teenager. And one year for a teen is an enormous period of it's time. It's a long alone, time. Two years and three years. And yeah. now they're saying, you know. Now you're gonna to have to wait a couple of years longer than you would if you had to go somewhere yeah, else. Exactly. And uh, you, you, you know, I, I do think that because the United States did have the the attack on and and well, well, actually, what time was this that you're talking about? Is this pre nine eleven? Yeah. Yeah, it's way past nine eleven. It's twenty two thousand eight, two thousand. Okay, okay. so That's it's after nine eleven, and and i would say that it, in order just to be acceptable to the american public yeah. after that attack they're going to have to do an extensive job of yeah i mean and you know in defense of my country which i don't have defenses for sometimes in their immigration yeah, policy yeah. but they have to do it just because there was that terrible attack and it was 
people, and we're going to talk about this a little there, people who claim to do it in the name of Islam. And yeah. we're, going to, we're going to talk about that a little bit, too, because people throughout history have claimed various religions and did bad things in their names. Yes. But what they really wanted is power, money, notoriety, whatever. It's not necessarily yep. that. Yeah, the religion becomes a vehicle. To, to execute yeah. what the, the violence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it comes not the excuse. Right, absolutely. And, and, yeah. but, but anyhow, I would, yeah. And, and, and I imagine people, some of our, our listeners are saying, well, I, yeah, okay, I'm okay with the extra years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because now we know we're getting people that have been thoroughly vetted. researched yep. and vetted. Yep. So I yep. just need to throw that and, out. Uh, and yeah, and, and and it also goes against what what you hear these days. Uh, as far as all people are coming in, and they we don't know where they are, who they're, but people don't forget that these people spent almost five years, six years just going through. So what a you're telling process. me is that a, a a terrorist would not go to a refugee camp no. to spend twelve years, no. and then in the hopes of <laughs> getting be that one percent <laughs> that could come to America to attack us. And, no. and, and, and meanwhile, being investigated by the State yeah. Department. Yeah, right. So the the, the 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 almost certain way that a person who's a terrorist is not going to come to the United States is coming as a refugee person. Because you're going to subject yourself through a huge vetting. We're talking about the Homeland Security, the FBI, people like you basically. That's even if you can get that far. Yeah, if you can get I mean, that, that far. Only, that's only one, that's less than 1%. Yeah. That would even, I mean, they would have to, they would have to be a terrorist family. Yeah. Coming in, right? <laughs> I mean, it, they would have to be. They have to be a sneaky, yeah. long term. Yeah. Plan. Like it a will, five year old. You're not a terrorist yet, but in 10 years you will be. Yeah. And then that's when we'll get into that's, America. Yeah. You yeah, will, you will edge you if you are if you are a terrorist, then you will edge out of your edge <laughs> <laughs> out of your terroristic ways. <laughs> so it is. I mean, it, it there is that humor there that people do think that uh, terrorists are sneaking in as refugees, and as we learn your story. That, and the people in 9-11, none of them were refugees. Right. Nope. Yeah, so they come in on visas and overstay right. the visas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This has nothing yeah. to do with refugees. And when we're afraid of refugees mm-hmm. for those reasons that they could be terrorists, I hope part of the story that we're telling is that these people aren't – this is the last group of people yeah. yep. who are going to be terrorists. This yep. is – if you're trying – it would be like breaking into a house by climbing to the roof mm-hmm. and trying to burrow in through the shingles, right? I mean you're picking the most difficult way to come into this country. It's right. time-consuming. It's yeah. time-consuming, absolutely. So um, I had a uh, – so uh, tell us a little about this interview process. Because I'm assuming that's just not, hey, how you doing? What's your favorite color? You're no. into it. You're in. <laughs> no, no, it is, it is, it is very secluded. As far as they, t- everybody goes in their own in the room. If you ever watch any of the uh, movies in the American, how they interrogating somebody and there's two officers sitting there. Okay, it's basically that it. That's it. So you you sub, you provide all the information they ask. So any any information they double check on, on what you said on the things you uh, this they you provide. Um, and I'm assuming they're asking the same questions over and over. They're and over asking again. the same questions and over again. And there's part of it that's a little bit uh, really not 
great as far as uh, when it comes to children because they you can be subjected to relieving trauma all over like again okay yes so for example they will ask you to describe in details what happened to your father and how the blood looked like and who was standing where and how much was he bleeding what was so Are you asked those questions they asked those questions they asked you like how much uh, your dad it, was I guess they're trying to, to make they, sure this they, is a true they, story they asked you that's pretty brutal. yeah that's brutal it's uh it's very it's a way to subject somebody to through the same trauma over and over again but i again you don't have a choice of saying i cannot answer this i'm not comfortable you don't have that right. freedom so you do you do that um they then you go through the next interview which is basically the same interview but with just different people and then um, and then you go when you when you pass the interview process then you submit all your fingerprints so then they take your fingerprints and run it through the worldwide um uh, intelligence agencies to see if you have ever been flagged down for ever doing anything wrong at the world mm-hmm. and then when the, you pass that and then then they submit you to background checks so and then you finish the background checks so it the most vetted people in the world is a refugee person because they have gone through this um this test and everything's that you you will only put through somebody who's maybe signed up to be uh, a commander in chief or 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 somebody who's going to lead the american army a, se- a secret agent <laughs> a secret right. agency like basically that so so you're you're there with you know you and eight other members of your family right yes it says and so is is there does america agree to take the whole family is that why you're here is is it, it, was there a chance that you could have been split apart at any point yeah in this so process? so we get we get the notification that we can come to america has agreed to take the whole entire family but then they offer you an option of we're going to take so and so first we're going to take uh ma- the mom and the girls first and then let the boys stay for a few more years and uh or then and then they will say maybe the two boys should go first so we so we got offered the opportunity of my my family getting split up and uh my mom thank god said no she said nope we are going to go together as a she's not going to leave the teenage boys there nope, and the nope, fa- oh, okay yeah. well i think she probably made a good decision yeah, yeah. but that's a yeah. mom's that's a mom's decision <laughs> that's a mom's right decision there. it was out of at this time i said mom you got you got to let me go <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, but yeah, so so yeah, you it's exciting. Those are the exciting times when you're at that stage where you're thinking of leaving, and uh, you you get the you get the you get the phone call. Hey, you are gonna be resettled uh, to this uh, country, and um, and then just get ready. We're gonna call you back in a few and, months. And did you come to Lancaster? Is that what happened? How yeah. Did you get here? So I we you find out three weeks before you where you going. So they tell you, hey, um, we're gonna resettle you in this uh, city called Lancaster City, and it's in the state of Pennsylvania. And, uh, and you have no idea where any of that is. I have no idea. I, I didn't even know the state of Pennsylvania. When you're yeah. in the camp and you hear people left for America, a lot of a lot of the people would have been going to Minnesota or Ohio. So I didn't even know the state of Pennsylvania even existed. Even existed. Okay. And then and then you ask somebody. I remember I asked one of the teachers to do a Google search no. what Lancaster is, and uh, you know the first thing you see about Lancaster is Amish. the is the Amish folks, and you're like, oh boy, I spent a lot of years. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to another refugee camp. And I'm like, oh, they don't have electricity. I'm going, I'm going back in time. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, so that that was my initial reaction. And Did then, you, were you picking out your buggy that you were going to use? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want the open top. One. Yeah, we, real fast. Yeah, let's let's let, let's let's shop for black clothes. <laughs> <laughs> let's let the beers grow. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. So and then we finally made it to uh, New York City Airport. We go through. Uh, we go from from Kenya to London. So London would have been the first uh, country. That I've been to that was that looked relatively different, and I was like, "Oh my, this is." Where all the faces are white. All the faces are white, and this, uh, their accents. Talk and- about that for a second, because I've like my whole life, I have lived in a predominantly white community where yeah. I am the same as everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> what is it like to get off of a plane? And, and you, you've been in Somalia, you've been in Kenya. Yeah. Vast majority, everyone's black. Yep. And you get off this plane. Uh, and it is white city. Like, yeah. how does that feel to be? Is it is that- very intrigue, intriguing. I remember. I remember. I wanted to touch people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to, but I really just wanted to touch somebody and, and see, like, what, like, I. It was very interesting to see a white person, right? Because I, I just, want, I remember, I remember the feeling of I want to touch this white person and see what they, <laughs> if they, if something will come out or. <laughs> But yeah, it was very interesting, and um, yeah, everybody was nice. Um, they had, uh, of course, they had British accent, so right. they are automatically nice. <laughs> Here's a, this another polite, polite yeah. Let's yeah. kind of another odd question on the idea of race. How long? Because you, you went, you were predominantly in a uh, obviously in a black culture, yeah. and now you're in a predominantly white culture. Where but Lancaster City is multicultural to some degree. Yeah. How long does it take to get used to that? That you look different in some way than the majority. You, you spend your whole life as a majority. I think. How, yeah. Are you used to it yet? I think. I think it's gonna take. It, it takes a, a long time to okay. get to get you to 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 feel like you're not always standing out. Yeah, exactly. Because you always feel like, oh my goodness, I, I'm I'm really standing out. <laughs> yeah. And you cannot hide. It's like, not like I couldn't imagine like walking through a refugee camp or anything. Like oh, when yeah. everyone's black except me, I would feel like there's yeah. a spotlight on me. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's how you. My family. When when we settled in Lancaster, one time we we were walking from our house to to the grocery store because we didn't have a a car back then. And I remember people because there's nine of us. There's it felt like we were protesting or something. <laughs> <laughs> I remember people just saying, "What's going on?" And we just said, "We we going to the grocery. We don't know what's going on." Some people try to join us. Like what? <laughs> what are we protesting? <laughs> It's just a family going for <laughs> some groceries. You can help with the milk. <laughs> but yeah, but but we felt so we felt like we knew we we were different because people would stop and stare and ask questions. In Somalia, you never you you look like everybody else. Right. So it's a very interesting shift to go through when you're here. You experience culture shock. Um well, first of all, we got to settle here on a <laughs> Halloween night. <laughs> that was my first American experience. Okay, well, we we, we got to hear about that because Halloween's kind of a strange deal, anyhow. I mean, yeah, you have people wanting. I don't know why you still have that. Well, that's the key. Idea, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I learned, but yeah. but but anyhow, uh, where were you on Halloween night? Then? So we we came in America on Halloween day. Oh, you! you that, that, that was the first American. Okay. So we left the airport. We didn't see anything happening crazy. We were in a car the entire ride, and we got to our home. And uh, and then and, we, and, and this is on a street in American. 
Was it in Lancaster? Yeah, this is Lancaster okay. City. Okay. Uh, we, we got we we live in Cabbage Hill, which is okay. I know where Cabbage yeah, Hill is. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, we just sitting there and relaxing and trying because we have been traveling for many hours. This is your first night in America. This is my first. This like is our a huge first size. It, yeah, we're all looking at the house right. and we're like very it's safety, right? It's I safety. mean, that's just what you guys dream about. Like this is as safe as you can get. It's so quiet and then. We had um, the children from the neighborhood who are trick-or-treating start knocking on our door. But I, re- I remember before we left, they said there's going to be people who are going to bring you uh, maybe welcome packets. Uh, so I expect that. So I was ready for somebody to come to bring something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I remember opening the door and this, all these kids with costumes. And um, I, I, I mean, I knew I was going to expect different, but, you know, I, I didn't know. Uh, that's gonna be costume <laughs> different. So we did were, you recognize? Was there Batman in there? There was a there or? was a witch and a, okay. And did a, you know a, that a, it was a witch? No, I found okay. out later. But it's I, just she, somebody. She, she oh, just had okay. a long hat and a, and a, and a stick and, um, and he had no was, idea. <laughs> <laughs> the okay. scariest yeah. one was a vampire looking person. I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. So yeah, I, so they like when I opened the door, they like trick or treating, and I, I took their back because these kids hold their bag. Yeah, they said trick or treat, and I and I assume this is the bag. This is the welcome bag, and I, I took their bag. Did you, yeah. did you shut the door on them? Did you take the bag and I shut the door? Th- thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to let them in. <laughs> you well, know, no, not the kind of vampire. Not the kind of vampire. And this, what do parents come up and knock on the door? Yeah, then? <laughs> our, our parent, our neighbor right now came over and he said, "Okay, what, how, what, welcome to the neighborhood." But what did you? What's going on? What did you, what did you guys do this? And I said, "I don't know what's going on." <laughs> he said, "This is trick or treating. Usually, you put something in the back." So, or you do a trick. I said, oh, well, we have, we, we have something to put in the back. So I went back and I got some broccoli, <laughs> some carrots. <laughs> and that was the first. Just, just what they wanted. Just, though. yeah, some, some healthy <laughs> snacks. <laughs> broccoli and carrots yeah. for trick or treat. Yeah, yeah which is favorite. Uh, <laughs> You'd probably be more popular if you just took their bag. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. What, what's great about that story is you gave those kids a story to tell for the rest of their lives. They will always remember They'll the guy. They'll always remember the guy <laughs> that who took stole the bag. <laughs> yeah. or, or the guy put the broccoli yeah. in the yeah. yeah. Do you remember when we were kids? Yeah. And that dude put broccoli in our bag? <laughs> what the crap was yeah, that? Yeah, I am going to be in many diaries. <laughs> you will. Yeah. You're going to be the subject of many stories. Yeah. Told. That's that's one of my favorite stories. One of my other stories, like when you t- what you said, is when you got off the plane uh, in New York, mm-hmm. the first person you saw was Chinese. Yeah. Ch- a Chinese-American. Yeah, and Chinese-American. So one, the security guy, uh, the guy at the TSA, Agent was mm-hmm. a, was a Chinese guy, and my perception of America was everybody was white person, right. and uh, so it was interesting to to see what America is like at this at the beginning stage where I saw a Chinese immigrant and he was an American TSA agent, so yeah, it was very fascinating to me because you. He might not have been an immigrant. He might have been born here, right? Yeah. I mean, or maybe. <laughs> right, but you just meant. Mo- he's, yeah, he's, he's just, obviously. Just, just right. so when you're in the camp, you don't think Chinese person. Like right. That. Yeah. <laughs> that's not your image in New York City. That's not. Yeah. That's not your American image. So, but but then it, but then you realize that there's no American image. That America has a lot of images, and uh, that's one of them. Mine right now is one. Of, it's going to be soon. <laughs> right. I mean, by, by 2050, our 
Latinos going to we will white Americans will be the minority by two thousand. Is that what well, they're saying? Yeah, they say. But you know, the, the the odd thing about that is birth rates tend to go down as people are more financially successful. Right. I know that uh, for African Americans, the birth rate has has gone down. Uh, both the the out of wedlock birth rate and uh, the the birth rate for married Black Americans, and part of that is probably. Uh, the amount of people that are reaching the middle class and okay. a lot of times the wife works and you're going to have a lot of times uh, decisions about kids are delayed till after you get out of college and so families tend right. to be small. Well, Somalis are going to be supporting that side of the population. Well, <laughs> the average Somali size is like eight people. Well, so. yeah, but it'll, you come it'll to probably, America, probably change. Yeah, it has changed. Oh, and I have noticed out. that I was talking to uh, Somalis who lived here in America and they're like, they have two kids and I'm like, Okay, well, this is different than having nine kids. So yeah, mm-hmm. it is a way of uh, well, nine kids just in America would be unbelievably expensive. That it would almost—I I don't know how much money you'd have to make a year to have a family of nine. Well, I mean, you well, know, the Amish do it. You know, the Amish do it, and and they have a culture that can support that. But even. But, you know, when I was a kid, families of four to six children were kind of the norm. It's yeah. called the baby boom. So yep. it was fairly recently in the, in the United States that just regularly and, – and farm families like the one my mom came from, mm-hmm. I mean, she, she had seven brothers and sisters. So okay. that, that was the norm. Okay. But, again, so it's changed for, for white families. And you were canning too. every – you had huge gardens. Yeah, and a were huge feet, garden. You, know. you can. My mom got the eggs every day right. out of it. People, people live differently. Yeah. That's the thing. And I'm yeah. sure Somali, you know, Somalis yeah. come here and they live differently and, and then, they have different goals. Yeah. Um, in fact, speaking of different goals, especially for women, you told me a story about uh, how, how are your sisters adapting to – Life in America. Oh, they are having fun. They are having fun. (laughs) They are having fun. Um, My sister is right now, she started college this year. So she's she's the first female in my entire family generation, like my father's, my mother's side, to to go to college. So there's a lot of pressure on her. Oh, yeah. You're the first one. Yeah. You better do good. (laughs) Failure is not an option. Now, how did your family feel about that? Because, you know, you don't want to stereotype too much. But... In, in, in Somali culture, it's more male dominated. Is that a fair thing to say? Yep, it's it, more is, male, it is. Okay. It is male, more male dominated as far as uh, all the college students and all the universities. It's available for everybody, but predominantly the male are the people who are going. And that's in, in due to shows. customs. And it just has to do with the culture and the or, customs, okay. and uh, and the other the other thing is also um, with the Somali culture. <clears throat> we, we have a lot of <clears throat> we have a lot of uh, entrepreneurship people. So women tend to start their businesses and not pursue education, or or they 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 tend to be to become wives and not pursue education. So it was a huge deal for my sister, and uh, my mom was just super excited. See, okay, yeah. so your mom's totally behind yeah. My mom. Sisters. So my sister is right now basically going to college for my mom and everybody else. Okay. <laughs> so like, yep, I this is this this is a dream. Um, yeah. And, and and here's something else a lot of people don't understand, and and this is true of the immigrant story throughout American history for you know several hundred years now, is that when usually there's a huge sacrifice that's made to come here, uh, and, and and then what happens is that the children 
it, it's usually done for the sake of the children. Mm-hmm. They come to someplace safe. And there tends to be a lot of pressure on those kids because the parents have done a lot. To like, get them. You know, to, and, and, and that's why, you know, when you look at the statistics, uh, you know, published by the Lancaster Chamber of Commerce, certainly not a, a liberal organization, yeah. that immigrants, they have uh, in, into this country, they have lower unemployment rates than the native born. They contribute millions of dollars to yeah. the local economy. And that's that's it. They, they come here and there's opportunities that didn't exist. And the parents have sacrificed a lot and they're saying to them, their kids, yeah. Okay, you gotta you gotta make it happen. It, it, is that a fair? Is that's what happened to your sister? A it, little that's bit? exactly what's going on. Okay, right. <laughs> yep, yeah. And you even made. Um, we're talking about that. We were talking uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, actually, when we were doing our Telus three hundred and sixty, and we met you then. Uh, one thing that struck me when you were talking, and like I, I, I live my whole life in Pennsylvania, and I and you said a few things that really got me to see things through your eyes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you were saying when you first came to America, you saw all these things and I wanted to do everything. Yeah. I wanted I want to do that. I want to do that. I yeah. want to do that. I want to do that. And what struck me about that is that you as a refugee saw all these opportunities. Yes. Like there's a, this is not an, and I don't I think Americans lose that. I think we see roadblocks sometimes. Yeah. And talk a little bit about some of the opportunities that you saw that you took advantage of? Um, well, <clears throat> when you get here and there's uh, the, the opportunity to attend school or to be an entrepreneur or and start your own business. So I've, I've um, <clears throat> right, <clears throat> excuse me, right now I run my own business. I run a company called Bridge where we do, where we do uh, cultural events around Lancaster. Um, you, you basically re- realize that America is a land of opportunity as far as jobs. So my first job when I came here, I used to work for uh, an Amish family as a as a as an as a as a as in a shared company. And then I also I also learned that there's opportunities to improve in the company and become more. So I started um, teaching myself how to code. And I took up on a job in the same company to become a web designer and walked my way up to... But you taught yourself that. Like, it was like, it was on a bulletin board. Hey, we have this job. Yeah. You had no education. You're like, no, I'm going to go I didn't buy have, books. I didn't learned. have an education. I just went up to them and said, what, what is it going to take for me to get this job? They said, you basically have to um, have uh, some coding knowledge and, 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 and that's it. So, yeah, I went ahead and bought some books. And I, a year later, I went back and I said... I think I I think I know some coding now, and uh, they tested me on it, and I got the job. So, so yeah, it was uh, it's in if in America as long as you as long as you work hard towards what you're trying to achieve, there's that possibility, and when you see the possibility, it gives you motivation to do it. Yeah, that's that's uh, the quintessential American story that I think mm-hmm. part of has been lost. Yeah, and they act like people immigrants are going to drag us down, and especially in the case of. Well, it's not especially a case. In general, what immigrants have done over our history have add to the culture and add to the prosperity of the culture. And what he brings up, too, is like a lot of um, immigrants are entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and create jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That that first, second generation tends to be job creators because they see the opportunities. So, yeah. So you now that you're looking back on the whole thing – 
And when you when you have when you eventually get married, have your own children, mm-hmm. what do you think you're going to tell them about your experience? Like, how much will you share with them? I think I'm going to share with them uh, all the whole story of how how uh, a, a, a family that lost everything and that lived in a refugee camp for all those years have come to a land of opportunity and um, have made new home. And um, I want them to always, you know, <clears throat> remember that that people have different circumstances of how they get they get here. And I always want to remind them because if I have children right now, they're going to be Americans and they're most likely not going to be able to to remember or 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 even think about what life is like in a different place. So I will always want to remind them and tell them that people come here for many reasons and one of the reasons is just to find safety and they should always uh, remember that this this is a great land and uh, they should take uh, advantages of being a good people and uh, living a normal life i had uh, you know because of the fact that the, you know the united states had this terrorist attack and there's been some other ones by people in the country uh that and they claimed islam as their motivator you know i'm yeah. going to you know and and some of it seems far fetched because there were these young guys that bombed the boston marathon mm-hmm. i don't even know how much and and they did it because they had been radicalized yeah. online and yeah. and so forth and there's other instances of that but you know you and I had had talked about this before. Uh, you know, today the United States military is supporting the new Somali government and the African Union, I believe, in an effort to fight Al Shabaab. Is that how you pronounce it? Yep, Al Shabaab. Okay, and which is a radical Islam. terroristic organization. Is it a terrorist organization? Yeah. And 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 they, and so um, is it. Do you know anything about that organization? Yeah, I mean, they are the same organization that had unfortunately taken my father's life. So, yeah, they are they're considered uh they're listed and considered a terrorist organization. So, what do you think? I mean, you you practice Islam. What do you think about people like they get radicalized in ISIS or Al-Shabaab? You know, a lot of people don't know that Islam yeah. is the second largest religion in the world just in and well over a billion people, maybe a billion and a half people. So any, you know, for me as a sort of somebody who likes statistics, I know that the terrorists are a very small group. But what do you think about it? I think what what a lot of people don't know or remember is that the first victims of uh, terrorists are other Muslims, first of all. Like my family was a Muslim family. I've never known anything else. I didn't. It's not like we, we were those other people. So we were. We are. We are the original victims of these organizations. And um, what I think is that they, they are people who are trying to use religion to achieve other agendas. Because if you're truly, if you're really trying to use religion to, to commit things, you you, you shouldn't be killing people of the same faith. So. It's people who are looking for neutrality. They're looking for uh, other political powers, and they're basically using religion to get there. Um, obviously, obviously, many people don't know that side of the story, so it's easy to paint the uh, terrorist organization as a way of Islam or of a way of being Muslim. But that has nothing to do with my faith or my culture. It's I'm a victim of that, and uh, I, of all people, should be should be the last person to be involved in something like that. So it makes me, 
it makes me upset just to know that there's organizations like that out there who are using faith to do crazy things. It's it, it's interesting that as Americans, we look at a terrorist group and we're so quick to put the label Muslim on them. Mm-hmm. But in America, we had we had our own terrorist group called yeah. the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, and we didn't know we never called them a Christian organization, e- even though they. That's why they burned the cross. Right. Yeah. It wasn't that they were trying to destroy. They said that that, that was the light out into the night. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And and it's every any group can be radical. There's there's people can be radicalized, but there's also I mean, what was the Ku Klux Klan doing? They weren't really trying to practice doing to others as you do have to, doing. Do, 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 you know, yeah. I mean, they weren't trying to do that. Uh, they they had their own other agenda, and yeah. that's what you're saying about Al Shabaab. I mean, ISIS. And, you know, it's not the just religion; cl- yeah. they have yeah, other their agenda. other agenda too. Yes. Yeah, so. so then religion becomes that thing that you can grab a hold on to. To so I'm gonna we'll end it with this question: um, Are you going back to Somalia? Uh, I am not going back to Somalia anytime soon because I mean I make I'm trying to make America my new home. Right. Um, Let me go back. I don't mean to talk about going back to live. I mean, are 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 you going back to visit? Is there yeah. any time you want to go go back? Yeah, I would definitely want to visit sometime in the future because um, I want to go visit my father's funeral, my father's grave. That, since I haven't done that, and uh, yeah, so eventually when it's safe enough to go there, I would go visit. But so now I'm just gonna enjoy my uh, would be pies and. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like, do you, do you chicken pot pie too? Chicken pot pie and okay. um, uh, and uh, what is the other one that's popular here? Oh, we got we the shufla pie. Oh, the shufla pie. pie. Yeah. I don't I, like those. Yeah. Have oh, you been to uh, what's the huge smorgasbord? Um, Miller's? No, uh, Shady Maple. Yeah, have, have you been? To, I've done everything. Okay, okay. <laughs> everything <laughs> Lancaster. <laughs> By the way, if you're not from Lancaster, Shady Maple is the world's largest buffet. Um, at least that's what they advertise. It is something to see. If you ever come to Lancaster, go to Shady Maple. Anyway, yep. well, thank you, Mustafa. You're, you're one of the most interesting guys I've ever talked to. Yep, and, and I'm not drunk. Wanna, <laughs> and, and, and seriously, it's just it's. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it's it's not easy, uh, but uh, I just appreciate it. I'm sure. Uh, it, it's educated me, and I'm sure it could educate a lot of people. Yeah, and thank you listeners. so much for having me on here. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be sharing my story with you guys. All right, thanks a lot. And uh, guys, if you want to get in contact with us, again, as always, historypoliticsandbeer at Gmail. Catch us on Twitter, catch us on Facebook. Uh, we'd love to come out and talk to you guys. If you have a live event you'd like us to attend, uh, we'd love to put something together for you. Uh, we can talk about a long, uh, wide range of topics. Until next time, bye bye.